bum bum bottom 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 bum
And it's insane to me that while he's been pushing these mini comics and independent books into my subscription box month in, month out, that he's also been amassing this incredibly impressive bibliography of work. Uh, You know, not only is he the writer of Bloom, but he is the co-creator of Zodiac Star Force with Savannah's sister, Paulina. Uh, He's written uh, Adventure Time comics. He's, He's written wrestling comics. It's just so exciting uh to to say like dude i knew this guy (laughs) and i continue to know this guy i mean i it takes i am a in person i know you can't tell from how bubbly i am on this podcast in person i'm like a really shy it like takes me a long time to warm up to people so we've known uh we've known kevin for many years but i've only actually been able to like open up and talk to him the last few years and then um i read bloom and i love the book so much well, yeah, right. and now i'm like oh no i've only just became comfortable talking to this person and now i'm going to fangirl all over <laughs> him because i love this book what i love about this story is that lisa you know uh, yeah lisa's shy uh lisa comes to the comic book store but she she she's shy in the comic book store um now, Zodiac Star Force, I fell hard for immediately, and I couldn't believe that Kevin had created Zodiac Star Force. And I read I, it, and I liked it, and, too. And you liked it, for sure. Uh, then he puts out Bloom, and it's with First Second Books, which is a huge deal. Oh, an amazing publisher. I love everything that they that they touch. And the fact that Kevin got in with First Second is just like miraculous to me. And because we're friends, I got a hold of an advanced reader copy. I read Bloom. I like Bloom. And then I give Bloom to Lisa to read. And Lisa falls hard for Bloom. Well, I love relationships. I love talking about relationships. I love observing relationships. And I'm a big-time baker. Yes. I love baking um, for a while, and I want to get back to it. For a while, I was doing a uh, Great British Bake Off-centric baking blog where I was, like, baking, like, two or three times a week. And I was eating so many scones. I know. So was I. And actually, what slowed it down is it turns out that eating nothing but scones uh, does put on some pounds. <laughs> <laughs> I got a little fluffy. All sizes are beautiful, but you shouldn't be just eating straight white flour and butter all the time. Um, but... Long story short, it's about boys kissing and baking, and those are like my two favorite things. And I re- and there's a Gilmore Girls referen- oh, reference. Yes, my life is complete. Yes. I remember returning the advanced reader copy to Kevin, and then coming home and Lisa saying, "You didn't give that uh, arc back, did you?" I said, "Oh yeah, I did." She's like, "Well, I wanted to reevaluate it," <laughs> and uh, I was like, "Oh well," uh, and then I think I went back and I got the arc back from Kevin. Well, what was happening? How accurate do we want the story? Because you didn't really give it to me to read. Like, you, we were driving to return it. Right, 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 And right. while we were in the car, I started reading it. And so, and then I was like, well, I don't want you to return this book because I want to finish this book. I am, I am falling in love. And then I returned it, and then you asked for it back from Kevin the next week, I think? I think you were like, we are going to return this but Lisa now wants to read it. So it was very, <laughs> we well, had that arc way too long. So long story short, 
Lisa's enthusiasm for Bloom made me reevaluate the book myself. And I had to reread it through Lisa's eyes for me to fully appreciate it, I think. Because while Lisa loves romance, comics, kissing, schemes, plots, friendships, and baking. I mean, I think all that stuff is cool, but I'm more attracted to magical girl comics, right? Like Zodiac Star Force and action adventure and fantasy and sci-fi and things like that. So I was so in love with Zodiac Star Force and what Kevin was doing there with Paulina that maybe I wasn't as enthused about Bloom initially because of that. Then, uh, thankfully, I have this lovely bride across from me, and she says, Brad, Bloom is a masterpiece. What I think makes Bloom so extraordinary is, like, if you were to look at the broad plot points, you know, young person feeling disengaged with his family. He doesn't know what he wants to do with his life. He feels he he kind of wants to do this indie band thing, but he's only somehow half committed Handsome boy comes from out of town. They start having a thing. You know, a disaster happens that breaks them apart. They realize they need to eat. Like, the broad strokes are not anything revolutionary. It's basic coming-of-age stuff. Yep. But then every couple of of pages, there are just these micro-exchanges, these micro-developments in the their relationship and the relationship of the people around them that kept that keep me so engaged so much is expressed in a facial expression or a tossed off sentence where you go okay well now these two friends that are adjacent to Ari now they're they're different from this page on like it's all of these little tiny things where closer you read it the more you love to read between the lines, it got, ooh, what's going on between Hannah and Jake? You know, like. And on the reread, that stuff becomes more apparent. And you're. You already know where the characters are going and who these characters are, so that when you revisit them on the second go through, you're immediately in love with Hector and Ari from panel one. Yeah, you know, all uh, over again. Yeah, and and that's just a sign of like you're saying, like a, a great book. So okay, we love Kevin because he's so damn talented, and we hate Kevin because he's so damn talented. We love Savannah because she's so damn talented, and we hate Savannah because she's so damn talented. Um, yeah. I want to be them but lisa yes before i can fall completely into self-doubt and loathing over my <laughs> own station in life and how cool all my uh, oh, friends are cool. am i cool we do have some cool friends though okay we lie. have some cooler friends than us anyway lisa for this month in exploring all of these various relationships who is going to be our love guru Yes, there's a lot of suspense and mystery around that question because on the last episode, we were finishing up Batman and Catwoman and we announced that our next book was going to be Bloom. I conspicuously left out who our love expert for the next month, who that was going to be because I had not decided yet. Um, The last couple of books we've we've done the five love languages men are from mars women are from venus and he's just not that into you left me kind of exhausted because i found myself doing uh the same speech of like yeah 
this is very uh, heteronormative. We have to to take away the construct of gender from this book to make it a pl- all three incredibly dated in some cases extremely offensive and downright terrible in their writing and their thinking and i just didn't find any one any book that reflected like the this trope i was saying of does love have to be this complicated does love have to be hard work. How do we just relate to each other as human beings? So I was Googling around and I was, you know, going like, should I go with like, you know, a more LGBT centric book or I I don't know. And um, I was listening to one of my very favorite podcasts, Getting Curious, hosted by Jonathan Van Ness, who is the hairstylist from Queer Eye. If you're not already listening to this podcast, you should be. It's amazing. It's just Jonathan Van Ness and his all of his fabulousness, all of his gorgeousness, talking to experts about the stuff that they're experts in. And he poses the subject as a question. His question for this particular episode was, how do you know if your bae is the one? And the expert he was talking to was actually a repeat guest, Dr. Stan Tatkin, a licensed relationship therapist that... I think was actually his first guest on Getting Curious. I'm not sure. I could Google that. It doesn't matter. You could Google that. (laughs) Um, But in their conversation, Jonathan made a casual remark that we hear about relationships all the time, that relationships are hard work. And Tatkin was like, no, your partner is supposed to be in your life to make your life better and easier. And I was like, oh, my God, that is what I've been saying, (laughs) that why would you go into a a long-term committed relationship with someone if they're being a drain on you or you feel like you're a drain on them? Well, in pop culture, uh, well, I guess not pop culture, in culture, period, there is this idea that relationships are work. You hear that over and over and over again from, you know, the television, from cinema, from your parents, from your friends. And also a big part of our culture that Dr. Stan Tatkin talks about a lot is that you should be prioritizing yourself and you should be prioritizing your own needs and you should be looking out for number one, which is something that's in direct conflict if you want to be in a secure functioning relationship. So in this conversation with Jonathan, uh, Tatkin goes on to talk about how the bonded pair is the smallest societal unit. And when you're in such a bond, there is an implicit agreement that you put each other first, that you can lay your burdens on your partner and your partner can lay their burdens on you and you feel secure in that exchange. And I was like... Yes. Let's let's find out more about this guy. So I went on um, like the iBooks app on um, on my iPad, and I'm sure like my iTunes account goes like, "What's going on with Brad and Lisa?" Because all <laughs> of the books I get they in trouble <laughs> are relationship books. Um, but I got both of his books, which are Wired for Love and Wired for Dating, and I read the in- the introductions of both. 
And I decided to go with Wired for dating because it's a little bit more recent. And it lays out right in the introduction that his approach to dating or being in a relationship is meant for any two people who are looking to commit to each other. So it doesn't matter if you're gay, straight, bisexual, asexual. His approach is non-gendered and science-based. Hallelujah. So we have a book and a guru we don't have to make excuses for? At least not yet. <laughs> Generally, when I we've done these, these months, I've read most or all of the book going into this conversation. So I'm extremely hopeful about this particular expert. I have not finished the book. So if I get like two thirds of the way through and I'm like, oh no, this guy's a quack, <laughs> I'll let you know. But um, but right now you're feeling I'm feeling pretty, pretty optimistic about this particular expert. He takes what he calls a psychobiological approach to relationship counseling using the science of neurobiology, which is like the chemicals in your brain, right? Um, Arousal regulation, which sounds sexy, but in reality, it's just what do you respond to? What incites behavior from you? So it can mean, I suppose, like sexy, sexy, sex arousal, but it can mean all kinds of any kind of brain arousal, behavior arousal, and then attachment theory. So how um, how people attach to one another, how a baby attaches to her mother, and so on and so forth. I've only read the introduction and the first chapter of Wired for Dating, and he does cite scientific studies in his in his approach. He does, um, if you look on his Wikipedia, he has a bunch of publications and journals that I assume are peer reviewed. I don't know, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but certainly I'm he has more credentials than say James Gray of Men Are from Mars, Women Are from Venus. Yeah, they're. I mean, they're not imaginary. <laughs> he did get his PhD online, <laughs> but he got his undergraduate and graduate degrees from Antioch University of Los Angeles, and his uh, uh, psychological doctorate is in clinical psychology, so not in some kind of crazy pseudoscience. Um, He is one of the, he is a founder of the PACT Training Institute and the developer of PACT, a psychobiological approach to couples therapy. Um, So I I don't know, maybe he may actually be a real scientist, question mark? Well, certainly more so than the other guys and definitely more than us. That's for sure. Okay, now how are we, or really how are you, going to relate Tatkin back to Ari and Hector in Bloom? Well, in the introduction of this book, Tatkin talks about what people who are dating are really looking for is to enter what he calls a secure and functioning relationship. Um, And... He defines uh, a secure and functioning relationship with five principles, the principles of security. So I'm reading this directly from the book now. These are his bullet points. Security, and then in quotes, we protect each other. Sensitivity, we are aware of each other's needs. Justice and fairness, we, we quickly repair any hurts that occur. Collaboration, 
We're in this together and true mutuality. What is good for me is good for you. So I think over the course of Bloom, Ari is really struggling with who he feels obligated to. So he feels obligated to his friends. They're talking about moving to Baltimore and really pursuing their music. He feels obligated to his father. It's his familial duty to take over the bakery and, and be an active part in the family business. And then when Hector comes into town, he starts wanting to feel obligations to him. And we see where we see Ari's alliances and obligations change over the course of the book. He also has the obligation to this dream that he has been. uh, uh, Yeah, an obligation, an obligation to himself. Mm -hmm. And he finds himself really struggling with what priorities will mean my happiness, which relationships will mean I get to I get to be happy. And um, I really find that like as a, as a coming of age story, I, I really find that interesting. Who, who do I owe myself to and, and who do I owe to myself? Well, and how do I achieve the best life yeah. now? Yeah. At uh, age well, I mean, I guess he's going into college. No, he couldn't. Well, he couldn't go college. to college, but he's in so college age. So he's like he's eighteen, like eighteen or nineteen yeah. years old. Um, yeah, and Hector, I'm guessing, is maybe like twenty, a little older because he's done some culinary school. Okay, well, we've been rambling this whole time, Lisa, but we really haven't dished out a basic plot synopsis. Shall we do that? Let's do it. Okay, East Beach. High school has ended for Ari. His sister just got married, leaving him all alone with his parents and their family bakery. When Ari is not toiling away, working within the family business, he's off with his friends, chasing that rock and roll dream. He's dying to move out and get away from his folks, but his dad resists. He needs Ari to keep the business afloat. Ari gets it in his head that if he can find a replacement worker, then he can GTFO. Hector has moved to East Beach to help clear out his grandmother's house after her recent passing. One day, when he's taking out the trash, he and Ari exchange a look. It's a fleeting moment, but it means something. Hector eventually answers a flyer that Ari has posted in the neighborhood, begging for work at the bakery. After several rejects, Hector seems like an obvious hire to both Ari and his father. Hector is a whiz, a professional baker in the making. Flirtations begin. Romance ignites. Ignites. I like that. Hot, hot, hot. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Alluding to uh, uh, some dramatic tension later. I dig it. Lisa, as you do every month, you break out your post-it notes, (laughs) your little stickies, your tabbies, and you go to work on the books. And um, maybe it's because it's our first graphic novel, but I've seen your tabbies this week, and uh, they're a little terrifying. There's a lot of them. Yes, I do use a very uh, meticulous and specific (laughs) color-coded system for putting tabbies in the books we're going to discuss. Um, But the long and short of it is I put a tabby anywhere I see a development in a relationship, whether it's a relationship between 
the two main characters, Hector and Ari, if it's a relationship between the friends, if it's a relationship. And this book, unlike our other books, is all about relationships. So I um, marked 88 different instances of a development in one relationship or another that I found worth talking about. Right. Will we get to all 88 tabbies? Buckle up. Oh we will not. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting when you look at this compared to us desperately scrambling to find a relationship to talk about in Batman Year One between Selena and Bruce. Yeah. And there's like six tabbies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not the case here. Okay, well, let's get into it, Lisa. Let's start with tab one. Tab one is um, how Ari is using headphones and playing on his phone during his sister's wedding reception, which to me is just like a pathological level of social unawareness. Elisa, you do that all the time. You Not put, at my sister's wedding. Well, no, but you put it on when you go to Giant because you don't want to talk to strangers while you're buying groceries. You put but it on. But that's not a part, like, if you're at, like, this is like a family function. The polite thing to do is engage and and he and he doesn't want to engage with his family. And um even though once his dad coerces him to get onto the dance floor, he has a good time. Like so there is something about his unwillingness to engage despite the fact that engagement is what ultimately makes him happy. I think that moment right there is another instance where uh, Kevin surprises you, mm-hmm. right? You expect him to be dragged onto the dance floor and then be incapable being, you know, the gloomy Gus we've come to expect from teenagers like this in pop culture before. And no, uh, he he opens up like once he's confronted by his sister and it's clear that he has a, a strong relationship with her, that he loves her. You know, he's able to still kick it and have fun. But how do you think uh, Maria's relationship with Dale is going? Um, you know, the we, we don't explore that too much after this. I moment. think they're doomed. Yeah, yeah. They're totally doomed. Um uh, Maria pulls Ari off of the dance floor to have a little like heart to heart chat about, you know, Ari, you really should stay with dad at the bakery. But just in like a passing moment, uh Ari cuts to the quick. Ari's like, how how's things going with Dale? And um she says, That's how relationships go. Ari, they aren't always easy. So they've been up. This relationship has been up and down. Dad does not approve. And that speaks to what you were talking about before. This idea that uh, as um, young, young adults and impressionable children, we've been told that relationships are work. So when you enter into a contract with somebody who's maybe not willing to give all of themselves to you, you know, she responds with, well, we're growing. We're going to figure things out. And it's, not even day one of their marriage. Right. I feel, I, f- I feel nervous for them. From that conversation, we jump right into the relationships that he has with his friends and building this uh, band dream of theirs. Right. First impression of Ari's friends is Lauren going like, this is boring. Like, what kind of friend will say out loud to their friends, I'm bored with you and your company? Oh, I've, I've, I've had those friends. I've been that friend. Uh, I hate that. Anybody saying they're bored out loud is a child. Uh, yeah, because, Lisa, they are children. These are teenagers. Yeah, well, um, Cameron and Lauren deserve each other. They are both <laughs> the worst. 
But I love Hannah, and I love Jake, and um, we learn a lot about their dynamic over the course of this book. But what is really evident is that Ari is holding on to this idea of moving to Baltimore, starting this band, really pursuing this dream as a fresh start, this opportunity to like, like, I don't, I'm not okay with how things are now. And I just need to be in a situation where things are totally different. And this is going to be that thing. Yeah. He's hit that age where it's 18. I didn't get to go to college, but I can't be here anymore. I got to go be an adult and being an adult is out there somewhere. Right, right. And then we flip to the next couple of pages. He's trying to share a video of his band with his dad, and his dad is like, you know, like, it's established. I don't I don't care about this. I care about you staying here, helping me take care of this bakery, because it is not going to stay afloat. And this this is everything. And this is the first instance where we learn that, you know, this bakery is on its last legs, that they are very close to losing this business. Right, right. And it, and, and it, that feels like a trap to Ari. And and it, and it kind of is. It kind of is. I can totally see where he's coming from. But as we go through the book, Ari's dad knows Ari way better than Ari knows himself. Well, right. And again, based on our first encounter with his father at the wedding, pulling him out, he just seems like a dad who's, you know, prodding his son and, you know, and, and being that cliche. But as we go through this story, he is holding on to this ideal that a relationship that he had when Ari was a young child child and looked up to his father and he misses that admiration. Right, right. So the way that this conversation concludes is Ari going like, what if I found my replacement? And the dad is straight up like, Ari, you're not listening. That's not what we need. Yeah, but like, Ari doesn't you. hear like, him. Care. Yeah, he just goes, oh, no, 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 this is what I'm going to do. Don't worry about it. I'm going to fix everything by finding another me. At the beginning of this book, Ari is like a teenager. He's completely self-absorbed. Sure. And um, a little bit of a monster. Sure. <laughs> but I don't know about you, Lisa. What saved me from coming down harshly on judging teenagers like I'm so want to do uh, in life and in other mediums is Savannah's art. Yeah. It's it's um joyful and exuberant and well it's empathetic like you engage with these characters through their expressions. And I think story-wise, you can kind of know where he's coming from. He's 18 years old. Maybe he doesn't want to be a baker. Sure, sure. I don't want to be a baker. I don't. Well, I certainly didn't want to go into my dad's job of being, uh, you know, a business consultant. You're not going to join the Navy or something. Hell no. So that's who Ari is at the start of this book. But who's Hector? So Hector has come to East Beach. He had to drop out of school so he could take care of some family affairs. His Nana has passed away. And for some reason, he's the one who's been put in yeah, charge. He's been of, selected or, or elected. Yeah. Yeah. To, to box up all her worldly possessions and, and eventually sell the house. And, and he needed to get away because he's just had a heartbreak in his life. Right. And this is a good enough excuse to put some distance between him and Andrew. And our 
first kind of get to know you conversation with Hector is the one that he has through Skype with Meg, where he's telling her about how stressed out he is and, you know, he needs to relax. And Meg suggests that, hey, why don't you go make something? Why don't you go bake? And he's just found uh, his Nana's recipe book and has decided that's a great idea, Meg. Why don't I make some of that fa'apa bread, um, which is like a Samoan type bread? It looks so good. He's adding into a bowl coconut milk and sugar and coconut flakes. Well, again, to like throw some love towards Savannah, the baking scenes in Bloom really are the moments for me as a, a, a fan of you know sequential art, <laughs> the the highlights of the book. Every time Hector is alone and d- does some baking, or when Hector and Ari eventually get together and do baking together, or when we see Ari's parents uh, rolling the dough, the phyllo, the phyllo bread, that th- those moments cinematically or graphically, I should say, are truly stunning, and it makes you. You, you hit the brakes on the book. You know, I'm flying by through story and then suddenly you hit this two-page splash page of baking art and you want to, you know, take your time with it. I want to bake it. You want to bake it, certainly. <laughs> I know you were talking a lot about recipes you wanted to hunt down after uh, reading Bloom. That coconut cake situation. Oh, yeah, give me that coconut mm-hmm. cake. You know, and I'm always down for some uh, solid bagels, even their bagel baking, uh, as depicted by Savannah's art. I'm for it. I want it. I'm like that seagull who comes in, swoops that uh, little piece. That's me. <laughs> um, I I like the fact that Hector really is the opposite of Ari. He knows what he wants to do, and and he is so content in doing what he loves. Where like so he can just go and bake and it brings him such relief. Yeah, but Ari thinks he has music, right? But then he has this kind of emotionally complicated relationship with Cameron. Really, that makes him feel so insecure. It's like it's not bringing him the happiness that that a passion really should. Right, Ari has an idea of what he should be doing. Should want to, but he doesn't actually have that thing. Right. You know, he it's really a distraction and an excuse not to connect with really what he is good at. Right, right. And he needs Hector to show him, you know, his skill and his love. Right. We've already talked about the moment, that that fleeting instance in which Hector and Ari first see each other for like the first initial, time. Like an initial, like, physical attraction. Yes. But what is the moment where this is going to become a romance. And as a reader, you want this to be the romance. Well, their first real meeting in person was when Hector showed up to apply for the job. And Ari sees, like, this guy is actually interested in baking and yeah. like actually and he's just gone through the hell of trying to hire uh insane normal people you know that's that's the retail pain is you have to conduct interviews and meet people that uh, you would normally go running to the hills for right from. but then i think our first clue that ari is interested in um in Hector as a person is uh, we see Hector arrive uh, on the job and the, um, he 
Ari gets to walk him through. Okay, this is how um, the we make the baguettes, and um, and he sees. There's a system in place, and Hector, this is not the system he would use, but Ari insists, no, my dad likes it a very specific way. Right. You have to abide by his rules, or he'll know, and he'll get mad at you, and you don't want him to get mad at you. But then, you know, like, Hector, once he starts weighing the dough and really putting things together and following directions. And kicking he, butt at He's it. clearly, like, hyper-capable, and um, you see Hector kind of enjoy seeing Ari watch him bake and how surprising it was. But I think what the real instance where we know, okay, Ari is kind of feeling a little bit defensive about his feelings for Hector is when his friends show up. Oh, sure. And it gets ugly. Yeah. Cameron starts being a big jerk like he is wont to do. And he's, I, this is like the, grossest meanest way teenagers are mean to other people where they're like overly polite in like a loud way where you're like you feel offended and yet all they said was hi how you doing but they just said it in that snotty tone so he's going like hi Hector and then um Hector overhears him calling Cameron calling him the big dumb boy scout Right. Which means that Ari has been talking about Hector to his friends. And I'm going to do a little reading between the lines. Ari has a crush on Cameron. And he's trying to create a little emotional distance between this other guy going like, I'm not actually interested in this other guy, Hector, because he's a big, dumb Boy Scout. I'm still just interested in being in the band and, and moving in with you guys. So I think that he was kind of doing like this kind of defensive talk. He's creating a narrative with his friends to challenge his own feelings. Exactly. But then if we think about like, okay, Hector is seeing Ari as maybe a potential partner and you think of, oh, what are the aspects of a secure functioning relationship? This is a huge blow to Hector's sense of security in friendship with Ari because, you know, Ari is has been talking about him behind his back. And later at the arcade, Ari tries to confront his friends and go like, I wish, like, what the thing that happened with Hector back at the bakery sucked and you guys are being jerks. And Hannah is a little offended. Hannah's like, I wasn't being a jerk. It was Cameron who was being a jerk. So why aren't you calling Cameron out? And hey... By the way, you laughed at Cameron's jokes, too. Right. So whose side are you really on? Yeah, and that then allows Ari to re-contextualize uh, his relationship with Hector. But And this also happened right after um, Ari found out that Cameron and Lauren are getting together. So... Uh, there's know. a betrayal within the friendship. Maybe this band thing is not going to actually work. Um, the Yoko Ono situation. <laughs> I actually like Yoko. <laughs> yeah, guess what? I'm like them. I also like Yoko. Yeah. Um, and also Cameron going, are you in love with him or something? That's just a savagely jerkish thing to do. Yeah, and but in tone with how snipey teenagers act. Yeah, I think that there is an interesting dichotomy between Cameron 
and Ari. Because I think what Ari admires about Cameron is he's like one of those people who are like, what did I say? I'm just being honest. I'm just shooting from the hip saying, like, I'm out for number one. He's I'm playing saying, the role of the band frontman. You know, he's the singer. He's got the talent. Right. And and there, there is a reason why Cameron and Lauren will probably succeed in music to one degree or another, and Ari won't. Because Ari is not like that. He does feel obligations to his family. He does feel obligations to his friends and the people that he loves. So he's not necessarily like Cameron willing to sever all ties. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But Um, going back to my original question though, Lisa, when's the moment where you as a reader, you know, we see the cover of bloom, right? right? And we know it's a baking romance comic, but in their first interactions, I'm not necessarily on team Ari and Hector forever. When is the moment for you that you fall in love with their love. Oh, oh, that's trickier because I feel like, okay, the sparks are already flying, right? With that first day at the bakery. Yeah, and Hector and Ari then start kicking butt together and are in sync with the process of baking and we get some of those Savannah splash pages. And at first during those Savannah splash pages, you know, Ari, the the look on Ari's face is uh, one of anxiety and um, maybe not awe, but acknowledgement that Hector is... A, a pro is mm-hmm. several steps ahead of him in the artistry of baking. So I'm going to say that their moment when, okay, it's official, they're they're in love. I don't know. Is well, not not that they're they're in love, but that you that you as I'm the reader, love? where I'm in love with Hector and Ari. Okay. Well, I'm going to go with. Hmm. Well, there's, of course, the baking of the blueberry muffins, but I think it actually happens after that. So do you remember when Ari was in the shower and he hears his parents come home and the parents are like, um, like, do we want to tell Ari now or should we just wait? And Ari overhears that and he... um, he kind of avoids it by going like, I'm in the shower. Right. But it leaves him with these like squidgy feelings. Yeah, the butterflies. Yeah. The love butterflies. He doesn't know what's going on with his family. So he tries to text Jake and he tries to text Hannah and, um, and he's still lying awake and he still has like this anxiety to release. So he goes downstairs and he finds Hector's employment application. And he starts texting with Hector. Yeah, yeah. And you just see the, like, you know, like, hey, Hector, it's Ari. And um, Hector texts right back. And then you just see um, Ari's sweet little face in the light of the light of his cell phone. And they're just tapping away, it's, really uh, having a, a conversation. Like, I remember that. Like, times when I was dating. I remember that with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you were driving across cross country, moving away. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that they they um they're having much more fun at work and it's just really cute. I think for me the moment is actually after the big 4th of July sale when it's just Hector and Ari, you know, in the bakery customer after customer after customer and finally 
dad and mom come home. They allow Hector and Ari to escape and they head over uh, to the pier and they meet up with Hannah, who's the waitress at the restaurant. And Deb walks in. The- I have some thoughts about Deb. Well, well, hold I'll those thoughts. Hold those them. thoughts. <laughs> She's an overly aggressive lady who has the hots for Hector and Gross. makes him uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he hides under the table and Ari asks Hannah to cause a distraction so they can escape. And then Hannah just starts doing hubbalo blue, hubbalo blue, blue. <laughs> How do you say that, Brad? Hubba I can't say Hullabaloo. And then that leads to them fleeing. And again, we get this really gorgeous splash page from Savannah of them bolting out the door, running down the boardwalk, and then, you know, cut to them coming up over the hill um, with the, the flowers. And, in, you know, they're holding hands. They're holding hands. And... And so you're what? That's 134 pages into Bloom before Brad goes, you know what? These guys together forever. I don't even want to see any dramatic tension. Let's just end the book now. The entire... So I was talking earlier about like how Hector hearing Ari talk about him to his friends in a disparaging manner really hurts his security. This is when where the security is gained back because like... Um, Hector is like after seeing Hannah again, like feeling uncomfortable because it reminds him of that time that made him feel bad. And so he's kind of acting reserved and Ari tries to like go into Hannah's defense. And when he stays in his shell and he's like, just forget it. Um, Ari is visibly pained by the idea that he's hurt Hector and just the his his pain in that moment makes Hector immediately feel better because he's going like you are clearly regretful over what happened and now you are concerned about my security and my over feelings. your friends over my yeah. feelings mm-hmm. exactly so I don't think that that hill moment would have happened if it wasn't for Ari going like oh, come on yeah. just forgive them yeah, true okay real quick yes. what what are your Deb thoughts oh I just hate. Oh, like I just hate older people who (laughs) (laughs) who create a false sense of intimacy Mm -hmm. by embarrassing you. Like, and I imagine as like like a a gay person, you know, somebody going like, you know, your dad was such a heartbreaker. The implication being a heartbreaker of women, you know, back in the day, and then in his head he has to do the calculations of. Do I come out to her right now and go like, well, actually, I'm not a heartbreaker of women because, you know, I am a gay man or or does he just have to eat? And I I experience this all of the time as a person who is child free by choice. No. And I'm in conversations all of the time. Like no one ever asks me that. Lisa, I'm a 35 year old woman like and I don't have kids and I've been married for like almost a decade. Yeah. This year. And um, people still all of the time go like, oh, you'll understand when you have kids. And then I have to decide in that moment, like, do I tell (laughs) tell this client, you know, 
one of my what, my client from work. Well, I, actuality, I don't want children, and that's just not my. Well, you can have all of the children you want, but that's not my life. Like I can sideline this conversation right now, Lisa. I had a conversation with my dad recently oh, really? about the fact that we don't have kids. Oh no! And it had to end with my dad forcing me to say, "Well, never say never." And then my dad goes, "Ah, oh, never say never." Okay, I'm going to secure that away oh, as no. a possibility. <laughs> and I thought I'd move beyond that with my parents. I thought they knew that they were never going to have grandchildren. But guess what, Lisa? They still have the hope. Yeah, well, my mom has given me a lot of grief for it, and she has lots of grandchildren. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what she is complaining about. Okay, okay. Moving on, moving on, moving on. Who's going to take care of her in her old age? It's going to be me. So, like, she should be thanking her uh, lucky stars. We're going to be too busy taking care of my folks. <laughs> Teresa's going to have to take care of Leo and Dottie. Oh, okay. That seems fair. <laughs> okay. Anyway... Um, another thing that really endears me to Hector and why I think he's so good for Ari is that he is starting to give Ari a new perspective on his parents because, um, like, I remember being Ari's age and just, like, finding everything my dad does so annoying. And I've heard, like, like where it's just, like, literally just the way my dad eats salad would just disgust me to such a degree. And I've actually heard, like, this is, like, an evolutionary thing. So, like, there's a certain point where in a teenage girl's life when she reaches childbearing years and evolution's like, well, don't don't F your dad and make kids with your dad. So you have, like, this evolutionary thing where it's just like, ugh, my dad is so gross. Um, but it's unfair to dads. They don't need to be treated like that. But um, Ari kind of has that relationship with his dad where he's, like, he's just so disgusted by his father. He can't see his perspective at all. And Hector... Admires his dad. Admires his dad and... His dad, like Ari's dad, really admires Hector right. for, you know, like there's a, a upstanding kid. He shows up for work early. You know, he do, he takes a lot of pride in his work. And he's an amazing craftsman. Yeah, an amazing absolutely. baker. So there's just um, this kind of, like, Hector kind of folds himself very naturally into Ari's family. So when Hector and Ari finally kiss and oh, they have this passionate um, make-out session that uh, takes them over to the stove. We already knew that the stove had a hinky knob. Yeah, uh, the hinky knob. Dirty. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Hinky knob dirty. Uh, it's a Gilmore Girls thing. Okay. Kevin will get it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and and the, the towel catches light and yeah. the place burns to the ground. Right. Now, that ends up not necessarily being the uh, dramatic catalyst that I thought it was going to be. In a lot of ways, the bakery burning to the ground is a good thing, thanks to insurance and what the family can do with that insurance money. But the most important thing to come out of that fire is Ari finally returning to his father, his mom, at the hotel. Right. Getting off of Cameron's couch. And confessing, look, it wasn't just Hector's fault. They had fired it Hector. It wasn't Hector's fault at all. He, like, Ari was the one who touched the hinky knob. Right. And, so to speak. And, but. And then after, after the fire, he allowed Hector to take responsibility for it. Like, Hector does, like, the manly thing and goes, like, you know, 
it's my fault that this happened. I take responsibility. And it was Ari's, and he gave Ari, Ari room to go like, no, actually, it's our fault. Like, we both were. But Ari just lets Hector take the blame. Yeah, because there's that, you know, He's scumbag scared, personality. Scared kid. <laughs> I'm being too harsh there. Uh, but, but the important thing is, is that he finally does yeah. go to his dad and his mom and says, look, I'm responsible for that and I feel horrible place burning and I down. miss Hector and that ignites ooh poor choice of words <laughs> but that causes his father to confess to Ari look when you were a kid you were always by my side in the bakery and you were so happy and you were good at it and we were a great team and that's what I miss I miss this idea that we we could continue as father and son in this bakery finding happiness here with the dough. It, yeah, it goes back to that conversation Hector and Ari had when they were laying on the roof. Do you remember this? Right. They cli- climbed up on to the roof of the bakery and they're just kind of looking at the stars and um, like... Ari says something like, you know, like, you're lucky that you know you want to be a baker because I have no idea what I want to do. I I have no idea what would make me happy. And Hector goes like, you're happy all of the time. You're happy in the bakery. You're happy with me. You're happy with your friends. So It's those things that you are taking for granted. That's where your happiness lies. His father says you have this idea that you're chasing, that you're going to get happiness by leaving and going and becoming a rock star, but you're already happy in the bakery and maybe you should pursue what makes you happy. Right. And I love that. Though part of me is just like, uh, you should probably just retire on that insurance money because Ari is still 18 years old. He could change his mind at any second. The dad could not be happy in retirement. No. You know, he lies back down on that bed after he asks that question, and Ari says, no, no, let's rebuild. rebuild. I'm going to help you rebuild. And the dad says, good boy. You yeah. Know, that's the answer he wanted to hear. And now the family unit is reunited, and it's time to make amends with poor Hector that Ari threw under the bus after that fire. Right. So um, while his parents are picking through the remains of the bakery, um, they're like, do you want to help Ari? And and Ari just pages ago was like, I'm going to be super helpful, but later, and I'm going to borrow the moped. And he takes the moped, and I'm guessing he's going towards Hector's house, but then he sees a sign that there's going to be an open house, and the house is Nana's house. And uh, so he speeds up and he goes and Ari is giving, Ari, Hector is giving the open house. And um, the conversation essentially goes like, Hector's like, you just let me leave. You didn't fight for me for one second. Um, Yeah, rightfully hurt. And yeah, and then you never contacted me. And I feel like I was expecting, oh, this book is going to end not with Hector and Ari together. Honestly, from the moment Ari rolls Hector under the bus and lets him take blame, I thought this book was going to end in a very different way. I can't believe that Kevin and Savannah recover from this. So beautifully. And Ari is, of course, like, well, you know, I was just, he was just so, he was just so tremendously ashamed over what he had done. And, and 
like Hector goes like, you know, like if you had just reached out to me, then I, like I would have forgiven you because I like you and I like your company. And, you know, even for all of these screw ups you've made, like I'm, I'm rooting for you. Like I, I think you could do great things. And, and Arya is of course in tears and finally they embrace. And again, an awesome two-page spread mm-hmm. of them in each other's arms. Yeah. And we cut to December. Yeah, many, many months later, and they are, like, official. And it is so cute. And um, Hector has gone back to culinary school, and he's really excited about working on his skills, and Ari is super supportive of him, even though they're separated. And... Um, he gets to show, give Hector the tour of the new bakery. So Lisa. And they smooch. It's so cute. <laughs> oh, and then the magic, the most magical thing ever. We didn't even talk about this. Um, Hector had taken some of the sourdough oh, yeah. starter to make the super Kirkos family famous sourdough bread. And he returns yeah. the starter he had, he had Gotten so the famous bread will live will on, continue on yeah. because guess what? Developing a sourdough starter is really, really tricky. My only compl- and I've told Kevin about this. My only complaint about this book is that the one recipe that is included in the book is the recipe for the sourdough bread, which one of the ingredients is a sourdough starter. And get like either you have to know someone who has a sourdough starter, or you have to cultivate your own sourdough starter. Why can't you do that? Because you, it takes like fermentation and stuff. You can do that, Lisa. You're a talented baker. You're the no. baked dork. No. <laughs> All right, Lisa. I think it's time that we get back to your guru. Before before oh, we oh. do that, I there's a couple of things I just want to talk about real quick. We're Remember the hour mark, Lisa? I know, but look, 88 tabbies. Okay let's, okay, let's go back to your tabbies. First, I like we talk a lot about Ari's relationship with his father, and that's a very dynamic relationship. It changes over the course of the book, but I also really love and appreciate um, Ari's relationship with his mother and the way his mother mediates the relationship between Ari and his and his father because she is very supportive you know when like when the dad is laughing at Ari going like you know like you invited all of these cuckoos in here to apply for this job like what did you think was going to happen and Ari is like ugh you know he's just using this opportunity to just laugh at me um And the mom goes like, you know, like you tried to find a solution. It didn't quite work out. I'm proud of you for that. But she is always encouraging Ari in her own way to look at his father, his father's actions rather than his words, because, you know, Ari's dad can be kind of blunt. He can be kind of like, you know, like. He doesn't have the sensitive words all the time. Yeah, but if you look at his actions, how, you know, his dad is always in his weird dad way inviting Ari onto the dance floor of life. And and the mom just kind of fosters that relationship, I think. And the fact that she goes like, you know, like, you know, 
you've always been kind of a sensitive kid. And that's one of the things that's beautiful about you. And that's one of the things that's going to make life hard. That and, and she makes a, she's making a, oh, what was it? The spinach filling. Right. She does all that while making a spinach filling for Spanakopita. Yum, 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 yum. <laughs> um, also, I really appreciate that this book never uses the word gay. Mm-hmm. It's not a coming out book. We they, they never really discuss how out or not out Ari is. Right. I think the closest we get to... A confrontation? Not a confrontation, but like an acknowledgement of... Is like, the dad? Is the dad. Right. When the um, dad is going like, you know, when Hector came into the bakery, you were a changed person. And he says, I think verbatim, I don't know what that means. <laughs> like, I don't know what that means. I Like, he's not going to say to his son, it's because you guys are deeply in love and whatever. But I, so I do think like you see, well, maybe, you know, his dad has, is open hearted with traditional values, perhaps. But I like the fact that this book doesn't like, there's but so the many da- stories but that you go You got to finish that though. Oh. The, the dad says, I don't know what this means. All I know is that Hector makes you happy. Right. And that for Ari's dad, th- that's the, that's most, the most important thing. thing. Yeah. And like, I, I cried during that moment. Yeah. I, I don't know if I necessarily cried during that moment on the first time, but on the reread, I, I cried during that it's moment. A, it's a beautiful moment. Yeah. So... Yeah, oh. I, I mean, like, being an eight, 18-year-old is, like, hard regardless. Like, I had a hard time coming out to my parents as straight. <laughs> like, I could not, like, I was mortified to date in high school. Like, just the idea of my parents thinking, like, you know, thinking of me as, like, a sexual being. And, um, and then add on top of that, like, you know, like, not only am I a sexual being, but I'm sexual in a way that... My parents you can't understand. You can't. Well, you can't really necessarily understand. It's just uh. like even the most understanding straight parents are not going to completely identify with the sexual desires of a gay kid. But they're a gay kid in uh, pop culture of recent memory when homosexuality is. Y- seen in books, movies, there always has to be this, a yeah. confrontation about the fact that our character is gay or whatever. Yeah. And, and that drives me crazy. And you only recognize what a problem that is when you read something like Bloom that's not interested in having that conversation. It's telling a, a, a love story between these two yeah. people. And, you know, they're telling Hector and Ari's story. And honestly, sexuality and gender doesn't factor, factor in. into this I think narrative. that's awesome. Because, I mean, like, as, like, I can only imagine, like, like a young gay teenager like watching that same scene of we love you anyway we love you anyway right like in right. every single movie that that's not gonna not put in their heads like well sometimes the conversation doesn't go this way yeah i look forward to an adaptation of bloom you yeah. know oh, the, like I this is that movie a this is the, times. The, the movies that we are going to be getting and needing uh not to like say that movies are better than comic books i don't mean to imply that i just i i will consume this story in all forms that it inhabits but i love the fact that it's a graphic novel yeah and i'm excited by this point of view that kevin and savannah are presenting being taken by other artists and other creatives in all mediums and uh running with it yeah so hullabaloo hullabaloo hubba-ba-loo. i can't <laughs> say that word elisa yes 
your guru. We oh, gotta, yes. We got to get this done. Sam Tatkin. Stan. Stan Tatkin. <laughs> Stan Tatkin. Dr. Stan Tatkin. I think that over the course of this book, we see Ari gaining the confidence in his own desires to make the to create the possibility of a secure functioning relationship like he's probably not all the way there he probably has a lot more growing to do but just the fact that but there are moments in this book uh, where work is required love takes work lisa oh that's true i think that self takes work you know what i mean like everybody's like that this story isn't so much about uh, what what Maria and Dale are going to have to go through. <laughs> it, it's about knowing thyself and understanding what's best for thyself before you can connect to another person. Here's something that's interesting. So in that, mostly I've been talking about like the the um, the five elements of a secure functioning relationship. That's information out of the um, introduction to the book in the actual first chapter, he gives, he does like one of those like dating myths. And one of the dating myths is um, that you have to love yourself before you can love someone else. He says that that's a myth, this Mm. idea of like, and the way he does that is he cites so everything I just said, you're saying is BS. Well, according to science, it's BS, oh. Brad. So um, I actually found the actual section of the book where, like, if you think about a baby, a baby does not love itself. A baby does not know itself. But it learns how to love through interacting with a loving mother. And so if you follow that to its extension, like, the way we learn to love is by being loved. And I think that what Stan Tatkin would say is through Hector's loving Ari, Ari then in turn learns to love himself better and to love who he is better. Um, Here's the little section. That makes sense to me. Yeah, here's the quote from the book. Um, Oh, well, he cites a pediatrician, T. Barry Brazelton, about how a child doesn't really think of itself as a separate entity from the mother until its first birthday. And that's when a baby learns to like it from at that up until then, they think that they are part of the mother and that the love is like an ocean between the mother and and the child where it's just like, there's no separation. Um, But Mm. uh, in short, like, you learn to love by engaging with others. There's no other way that you can learn to love yourself without being taught how to do that. Hmm. I don't know. Interesting. Um, when you read Bloom, do you know? I know you've you find yourself in uh, these characters, but do you see our relationship in these characters? Um, I do. Uh, like, of course, I see you can myself. Say it if you. Oh, now I'm afraid. Well, I mean, 
So we, but I like, cause I was about to say, I see myself as Ari. Well, and are you saying you see yourself as Ari? Of course. Of course. That's what I'm going to okay, say. Cause, cause we're, we're both artists. Like, so I was thinking a lot about how, like I went I'll let to you music. Finish. I have thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I went to music school and, um, and the entire time I was in music school, I'm like, I'm going into music school because I'm going to be a musician. Mm-hmm. And, um, i finished music school and I never auditioned. I never auditioned, but like that entire time I was in school, I just had it in my brain. Like, you know, I'm in music school. I'm going to be an opera singer. And then as soon as I get out of school, I had zero desire to go find auditions. Like I am a professional musician. I do get paid to sing at churches and, and things like that. Like, you know, gigs, I gig in this area, but I like, you know, I, I just had it in my mind. Oh, I'm going to be be this star because that's what everybody at the school is, is going to be. Like that's everybody's plan. And so I do identify with Ari going like, You're well, what this is thing. like? What is the like? What is what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you want to be a singer or do you want to be a happy person? And like, there's just a some a point along the line where I go, oh. I want to be a happy person, mm. you know, over whatever ideal I had when I was 18 years old. That's not the aspect that I related to. Oh my. That's not what I was talking okay. about. It is with Ari in the sense that Ari um, lashes out when he is frustrated with himself mm. and he's uncomfortable or he's unsure of where he is going or what he is doing in the moment. And therefore he will alienate friends and family and potential mates. Right. And that is something that I do. And if we're going to be totally honest with our listeners on this podcast, if you go back and listen to this episode, you're going to find a break in this episode that we recorded the previous night. And we are picking up because I was so frustrated with my own language on the first half of this episode that I couldn't continue on. And I was getting so irritated and frustrated and I could not communicate outside of a tantrum like behavior. Yeah. yeah. You like Brad can get into self-loathing I suck mode. Yeah. And I, and I, I, I got into big time. I suck mode while recording this episode. Right. And it took uh, a good night's sleep. Right. Like, uh, and a I good tried morning's to do this breakfast, thing. a lot of coffee. <laughs> and I try to do the thing of, well, here are our options. We can continue to record. We can take a breather. We could record on Monday. And I confront every positive vibe that with, you have with, with a negativity. it down. And say, no, that's not going to work. When we reboot this tomorrow morning, it's probably all going to be erased and distort, distorted because GarageBand sucks. And I and I, I just get so caught up in that frustration and anger. And it's something that I am still working yeah. on. And, um, yeah, so those moments in bloom, it's funny this morning I was thinking about it after our break, you know, there, there are moments in bloom where Ari, uh, you know, just literally takes it out on Hector. Yeah. takes it out on Hector. And yeah, I guess I, I've, I've done that to you in the past and, uh, I will probably continue to do that, Lisa, but I'm working on it. Okay. Well here, let's see if I can bring it back to Dr. Stan Tatkin. Well, as your primary partner, hmm. it is part of my privilege of being with you is that I take on your burden. And then when I have when I have a burden, you take on my burden. And I like and when you get like that, 
uh, you know, it is my privilege to continue to love you and support you and get out of the way when I need to and <laughs> and poke you until you're happy again. That's generally that's, that's your stress. That's generally yeah. my stress. Sometimes it really majorly backfires, but <laughs> but like overall, like through like Ari and Hector a lot. If we go back to the prince. The principles of secure functioning. Um, Ari and Hector grow a lot through collaboration, like literally in the collaboration of baking things together, but hopefully, ultimately, in collaboration of creating lives for each other that makes each other like mutually happy. And well, I think having a podcast like this yeah, where we discuss romances doing. and relationships and characters, it makes me go, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to get to this point in this podcast where I'm going to have to talk about how does this relate to me. And then I have to confront the things that I'm working on. Yeah, well, so there like, you go. when I think about, like, we're always, like, we have a deep desire to collaborate with each other. True. Like, it in doing podcasts we do this we do it modcast we both like we are both writers and you know we write our separate things but we love sharing with each other and asking for feedback and and um and we feel very like secure in that and and um and it's just a really cool thing. I don't final, know what my point final, is. Final, final, final bloom question. Ooh. I know we're running running long on this. Probably we knew because I was of going that break. To. Um do you want a sequel? There's been talk about a sequel. Do I want a sequel? What I don't want is for Hector and Ari to break up ever for any amount of time. <laughs> like You don't like is... that trope that happens in stories that pick up after a relationship comes together and then the next narrative arc is tension, drama, conflict, breakup, reunion. Exactly. I don't like I I don't want to see them break up, but like I am sad when I finish this book because I love these characters. We didn't even get to get into Jake and Hannah right. and their relationship and Hannah clearly having a crush on Jake. I'm pretty sure Jake has a crush on um, Maria. Well, Kevin did. Kevin and Savannah did an interview with the Mary Sue uh-huh. where Kevin talked about the Bloomiverse and how he'd like to Yay! explore that. I would love that. And Savannah's response was, Kevin, we cannot do a book in which Hector and Ari are not the focus. So Uh-oh. they're working Creative that out. They're working that out. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it, though. I, I think it, this is a tremendous graphic novel. I love I Meg. really enjoyed it. Um, okay. I, I, just, I just really don't like Lauren. Hmm. Lauren's my least favorite, and then Cameron is my second okay, least favorite. Okay, we're not ranking characters, Lisa. What? <laughs> uh, so, yes, Lisa and Brad loved it. Lisa maybe loved it more than me. I'll allow, I'll allow that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, since our next book can't be Bloom 2, even bloomier, the uh, Jake and Hannah story. I was going to go with uh, <laughs> Bloom 2 Electric Boogaloo. That's the classic sequel title. That's true. And wish they dance. Um, <laughs> what is our next book going to be? Uh, so we are going to cover Hazel and Mary from the graphic novel Bingo Love, written by T. Franklin and illustrated by Joy San and Jen Sant-Ongi, O-N-G-E. 
I'm not sure how to say I that. I think the spelling is the most important yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited. I've heard a lot of great things about this book. It appeared on a lot of best of lists last year. And uh, yeah. It's it looks soups cute. It looks very cute. It looks very lo- cute. So bingo love. Go grab it and then meet us back next week where we'll discuss it. I look forward to it. So, Brad, where can our listeners send the words of affirmation to you? You can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. Uh, this past week, I have been obsessing over Captain Marvel, all things Skrulls, all things Cree, all things Carol Danvers and Goose the Cat. So head on over to Film School Rejects and read a bunch of Captain Marvel articles that I've put together. Uh, Lisa, how about you? Where are, we, where are we finding you? Where are we sending our words of affirmation to you this week? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. And you can hear my opinions of Captain Marvel and Brad and Darren and Brian's opinions on Captain Marvel at the In the Mouth of Darkness podcast. And if you want to read my baking blog that I have not updated in uh, months and months, it is the Bake Dork blog at uh, dot wordpress.com, something like that. You can find me. <laughs> Lisa, I want you to get back on it. I know. You can go back pastries to baking. Pastry is next. Yeah, you can do some pastries without consuming all the pastries. It's going to be fine. Yeah, I need more friends. And uh, guys, if you want to find us and follow us, go to iTunes, go to Spotify, go to Podbean, leave us a review and a rating. Five stars only. Yes, please. That's Five what we need. Only. It really does help us get the word out and reach new listeners. And until next time, Lisa, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy.